0: Incomparable podcast number thirty-seven, May twenty-eleven.
1: Welcome back to the Incomparable. I'm Jason Snell. I'm joined today by Dan Morin. Hi, Dan.
0: Hello, Jason. It's so nice to be on this podcast with you after so long since I was last on a podcast with you.
1: Also joining me today is Scott McNulty. Hello. Hello. We form we we brave three. Form this particular um, invocation of the incomparable book club. So, John Scalzi is our topic today. John Scalzi, um, award-winning, I believe, science fiction writer, president of the Science Fiction Writers Association of
0: America, I believe. I, so, he's... I hope to someday be a member of that association. Working, working hard at it. That would be that would be good. You need to write more science fiction, I guess. Oh, I mean, maybe that's not the problem. Some science
1: fiction. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Well, we, you can always aspire. We can all aspire, Dan. I aspire to that that's too. True. That would be great. Awesome. Uh, great. He has. So he's in the news. He's got a new book coming out
0: called Fuzzy, Fuzzy Nation. Fuzzy Nation, Nation. Which is a which is a recasting, I guess, of an older book.
1: Yeah. So that's interesting. We'll start. We'll start there. Why not? There, there's a book called Little Fuzzy, which is by Beam Piper. H H, H- Beam Piper. H Beam Piper from the '60s. And it's a very sort of 60s book where there's a protagonist with a pipe and he's a, you know, he discovers, he works for a mining company and
0: he discovers little cute aliens. You, you had me at protagonist with a pipe. He's a
1: savvy guy. And what's funny is that, um, so Scalzi's book is coming out. It It's, I believe, um, Little Fuzzy is in the public domain, but um, he wrote some sequels that are under copyright and Scalzi, H.B. Uh, and Piper did. So Scalsey decided, for un- I think unexplained reasons, I think he was just kind of in a funk, and so he decided to write basically his fan fiction, a, a reboot of of Little Fuzzy, basically a modern John Scalsey type retelling of the story of that of that book. And by the time he got to the end, he says that he really liked it, and so he had his agent or lawyer or somebody approach the estate of Piper. And ask if they could have permission to publish it, and they said yes. So this book that was sort of written on a lark is is now the new John Scalzi novel.
0: I find that kind of a fascinating idea. Just in you know, sort of broadly speaking, it's uh, there's a lot of interesting. You know, I think there's there's so much function. You know, so much attention on on being original, which is which is great. Um, I think obviously it's always cool to see new stories, but at the same time, we all know, as anyone who's written anything knows, when you get down to the base of it, there are no new stories. <laughs> so I think there's always it's always interesting to think about some of our favorite works. I think and and wonder, huh? How could that have gone differently? Or you know, what what if I had changed this one thing? Would it make the story really different or not? I mean, I think that's a fascinating thing to to play around with, and I think it's at the at the root of sort of what makes Scalzi kind of. I think he's kind of emblematic of a lot of you know sort of the modern genre of science fiction writers, which is a lot of it is sort of homage and pastiche in some ways uh, to to things that have gone before because so much of it is so established. That's uh, two words with a French pronunciation. That you can I can use this whole podcast. with a French accent if you prefer. I wish I could um, say
1: well, this podcast is over in French, but I don't even know. Because it's fini. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Actually, that means that might mean this podcast is dead. But <laughs> colloquially speaking, <laughs> I think so. well, yeah. But I was gonna say it also reminds me of um another writer who I'm not as big a fan of, Charles Stross, um, who I think a lot of his writing, a lot of his stories borrow or tip their hat to things that came before. He's got, for example, a series that that plays sort of broadly in the Lovecraft you know world, and so it's interesting to see them sort of a not necessarily appropriate, but but build off of these these older public domain works and create something that's. New, but also kind of old. He took and borrowed
1: a book from fifty years ago, and basically said, "What would a modern, a modern science fiction writer do with the same story, but you know, with very different kind of expectations for what a modern science fiction novel is? It's much more kind of complex characters, and it's more sort of political stuff happening, and 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 uh, it's interesting. Although he said he read it repeatedly as a kid, but when he came time to write it, he didn't read it again so it and apparently it diverges in many ways from the book because then he read the book after he had written his version of it he was like oh i have no memory of this part so it's interesting it's sort of like his retelling of his memory of the book and not the actual book it's kind of a cool idea no i think it is but yeah i mean you could see that with uh i i'm surprised it doesn't happen more but um you know, books are owned by the writers, and or or if they've passed away, by their estates, and um, so you don't see what you see with movies and TV shows, where a corporation owns the rights and views it as an asset for them to repurpose in some way. And so you see reboots and remakes of movies and TV shows all the time, but you don't see it with books, and it's actually kind of funny. It would be interesting.
0: Yeah, you do see it on occasion. I mean, think of all it's the... It's very rare. Well, but, I mean, you think of all the estates that sort of, you know, they dub, you know, heirs' parents to following, st- You know, how many people write Robert Ludlum novels now, right? Sequals, or Sequels, right. Yeah. But
1: That's not the same as, I mean, imagine a modern sci-fi novelist doing dune right i mean Lois McMaster Bujold's pre- Dune,
2: right? <laughs> <laughs> Starring Miles right? Vorsorgian Well, well,
1: sure. I mean, Paul would be Miles, right? Or no? She's Obviously. she's she's capable enough to write yeah, other interesting uh, characters. But just imagine something like that, where you take a modern sci-fi writer and some classic that was written so long ago that presumably it would be told in a very different way now. That's this
0: is a, we. Sh- this is a game that we should start. That's a
1: good mashups idea.
0: of older science fiction with newer authors. I,
1: I've got Lois McMaster Bujold's Dune. You know, top that one
2: <laughs> hmm. i have a uh, uh, Chi- china Melville's starship troopers Ooh, that's pretty good
1: how about
0: um nick harkaway's foundation oh actually that would be i would that would probably be way better than the original <laughs> yeah
1: well that's <gasps> what i'm saying right foundation what? although a classic is you know all the asimov stuff is really um you know, he's got his, he's got his issues. He's, he, there are things that he doesn't do well. His human relationships are often kind of bland. And he's got big well, ideas, but the people are often kind of cardboard. And, you know, it would be fascinating to see somebody who's got a different skill set take, you know, the the interesting stuff from Asimov and do something different with it. Or, or any of his authors from 50 years ago.
2: Well, but in the Foundation series, they did have three books that were written by three different science fiction authors. Modern day science fiction Right,
0: authors. that's true. That's true.
2: That that weren't very good. So that yeah, just goes
0: to show you. I guess I would like to see somebody retake on some of the works of Philip K. Dick. I would like to see a. Well, and Pierce,
1: in fact, it, Pierce it, Anthony's. Uh, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, there <laughs> Total you go. Recall. Well, speaking of, speaking of which, there is an homage. Scalzi wrote a book called *Android's Dream*, um, which I have which, not
1: read, but it's on my Kindle. I haven't <clears> read that. That is
0: that is one. I read oh. that one. It's it's much more of a. It's much more of a of a humor book. It's, uh, it's more it's in like the vein a, of like a Douglas it. Adams. In some ways, um, probably my favorite of his works what's uh, that what's, I've read.
1: The, what's the idea behind the
0: Android stream It involves with these these aliens that come to earth um, i'm trying to remember all I remember is that it there's something very there's so there's a major plot point I feel like that had to deal with like flatulence
2: <laughs> yes because it's the, the aliens uh communicate using scent as well as uh um, speech is that not agent to the stars? No, no, that's Oh wait, no, maybe that may be in agent to the stars.
0: I haven't read Agent to the Stars. Although that was the first one I ever heard of him with because um the uh Mike Krahulik from uh, Penny Arcade did the cover when he released it online.
1: Yeah, it was a he it was like it, a shareware yeah, novel yeah.
0: originally. Which is another interesting, I mean like I'll say this I one of the things I really like about Scalzi is he he really he plays around with all this stuff, right? He's not. He's he's very involved and engaged in what is the modern form right. of a book, or or you know a story. Um, for example, I know he for my favorite thing that he has done recently. I don't know if either did any of you read on the um, on uh, April Fool's Day. He wrote. This prologue. So I have to, to back up a little bit. Oh, I they saw did the cover t- of this. Yeah. Tor, Books, Tor Books did an analysis at some point of the most common words in fantasy saga titles. Right. The Shadow War of the Night Dragons. <laughs> 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 and so John Scalzi wrote, uh, like he wrote the first comment on um, the post where they where they wrote about this saying... I will write this series. You can just back the dump trucks of money up to my door now. <laughs> and then for April Fool's Day, he actually wrote the prologue to book The Shadow War of the Night Dragons, book one, The Dead City. <laughs> um, and if you haven't gotten a chance to read this, go read this. It is hilarious. It is one of the funniest things I've read in ages. Because he clearly just started like, what's the most ridiculous thing you know, I could write? And then just kept going and building on it. And it's like it gets more and more ridiculous. But it's so perfectly constructed mockery of, you know, all the things that, that we love to make fun of about fantasy. I, I've got the, uh, the first paragraph of the, uh, the Shadow War of the Night Dragons up there. I just want to read the first, the first sentence, which is a paragraph. Night had come to the city of Skalandarharia, the sort of night With such a quality of black to it that it was as if black coal had been wrapped in blackest velvet... bathed in the purple-black ink of the demon squid, Drindle, and flung down a black well that descended toward the deepest, blackest crevices of Drindlethengen. The netherworld ruled by Drindle, in which the sinful were punished, the black of which was so legendarily black that when the dreaded Drindlethengen the ravenous, blind, black badger trolls of Drindlethengen, would feast upon the uselessly dilated eyes of damned, the abandoned would cry out in joy as the Drindlethengen Flagen the feared black spoons of the Drindlethengen Pressed against their optic nerves, giving them one last sensation of light before the most absolute blackness fell upon them, made yet even blacker by the injury sustained from a falling lump of ink-bathed velvet-wrapped coal. Yeah,
1: he's a uh, he's he's got a great sense of humor, and you see that I think in most of his work—not all of it, but most of it. Have you guys read the God Engines, which was a novella that he published? It was a hilarious. Awesome one. It was a, it was a Hugo nominee. That was not funny. <laughs> it, it was not funny at all. But I did read it. It was good. I thought it was weird. It, it, it's it, it's sort of like there's a there are priests who have a spaceship and they capture demons to travel from star system to star system. And, and the the demons or devils or whatever they are, are are sort of tricksters and not to be trusted. And yet they're sort of tortured and tormented. And, and uh, some, I think the captain has a crisis of faith at one point and gets smacked down by God. And it's, it's very strange because it's this sort of religion as the propulsion system for these spaceships and it, it turns out that they're horribly exploiting um, various populations and it, it's really dark and not funny. It was good and weird and not funny. <laughs> but good. That well,
2: depends on your sense of humor. It's
1: not supposed to be funny is I guess what I'm saying. It shows that he doesn't always do lighthearted.
2: That is true. It was a very, it was a much darker book than his other works. Yeah,
0: but it was good. It was, he's, so, got, he's got some range.
1: So, so the thing that John Scalzi is most famous for, which I figure we'd spend most of our time talking about, we've gotten to it last, which is interesting.
2: Um, this is his reboot of The Forever War.
1: Oh, I said it. <laughs> Caves of Steel. John
0: Scalzi's The Caves of Steel. <laughs> I would read that as well. Oh, Very yeah. easy to please. See, I'm just I'm just coming up with them, you know. You are you are much better at this than, than uh, I am. This is a
1: fun game. We should open this up to podcast listeners to send in their own reboots of uh modern uh science fiction writers rebooting science fiction
0: uh novels of old. Just to make sure to enclose a check with your submission.
1: Yes. And a self-addressed st- stamped envelope. Payable
0: to The Incomparable.
1: Right. Dan yeah. Morin's War of the Worlds. Oh, I've got a very good plot for that whole. All right.
0: Um, but I suspect yeah we were going to talk about something else
1: yeah so John Scalzi um, is most well known for his Old Man's War series which is actually four books um, the uh, original Old Man's War um, highly acclaimed and I believe has just been optioned and is probably possibly going to be made into a major motion picture um, so I've heard but that's a that you know that's a good book I assume you guys have have read that. I have. Have you read I I, all those books? Yes,
2: I read all four of them. All right. I so- thought I read all four of them, but it turns out I only read the first one. <laughs> ah, it seems like so four. close, so close. <laughs> or, or I, I read the other three, and I've completely forgotten uh, everything.
1: Well, so Old Man's War, the premise, if it's been a little while now, is that um, when you're on Earth and you're really old, um, you can sign up to basically join the space army. And if you join the Space Army, they grow you a new clone body that's young and healthy. Um, so that's green. a plus cuz otherwise you're going to die that. and it's green. It's, it's green. But the downside is you can never go back to Earth and because the space wars are really tough, you'll probably just die in like battle. But you'll yeah, have It has, it has you know, its pros
2: uh, and its cons.
1: Um but uh, you know, so that and that's how it starts. That's like the first chapter, right? Where this guy John joins up. Yeah, that's up. sort of the, yeah. the
0: premise, right? Yeah, um, yeah. A lot of people. <laughs> it's funny. It gets it gets compared a lot to um, to Ender's Game, and I think that's because there huh. are there are some there are some there are some superficial similarities. Uh, the the sort of high concept pitch that you you often hear is it's like Ender's Game but with old people. Um, and hmm. I think you know it was funny because uh, one of my good friends um, he had put off reading it for a long time. And then he just recently started reading it. He goes, "Wow, this is this is much better." I kept putting it off because people kept comparing it to Ender's Game. He said, "Like you know, which I liked, but like I didn't necessarily <laughs> want to read, <laughs> you know." Um, and I think there there are it, that kind of does the book a disservice because um, although although I really like Ender's Game and think it's a, one of the the most seminal books of the last science fiction books of the last like you know thirty years or so, um, they they are very different. In tone, if nothing else, well
1: the style is very Heinlein like which i you know I look at the Wikipedia entry, and people have yes uh, it, people are mentioning I, the two books that I was going to mention it's like, which is starship Troopers and the forever war and and there is so much Heinlein that runs through, um especially this series, it's definitely an homage to Heinlein in some ways
0: yeah, no, I think that's that's definitely true, I mean I think. It's it seems lighter to me than than some of those other other books. I mean, well,
1: lighter than the Forever War, yeah, just a little. <laughs>
2: it's a downer.
0: Also, just in terms of the narrative, in terms of the the you know the protagonist viewpoint that we see things through. Um, I don't know. I I find it m- maybe just more accessible or something. There's something about his writing that is very is very colloquial. It's very accessible. Well, by
1: having an uh, old man who turns into this soldier, you get you get to tell that that. Um, Almost like Starship Troopers, you get to tell a war story with this funny viewpoint, which is uh, an old man. So he's got a whole life's worth worth of experiences, and although he's not, you know, used to being out in space and all of that, he he's not a a, a wet behind the ears kid either. And it's a great, you know, and it's a great little combination where he, you know, and there are some interesting characters, and it is even though as his his um, compatriots get you know killed in these horrible firefights from time to time it is still there's sort of a light aspect to it too
0: right um and there's other i don't know i mean you know there there's sort of this whole like uh culture shock sort of with the whole um when they when they put them in the new bodies um all of a sudden you know there is this moment of hey we're all young again you know let's take advantage of everything that right. youth has to offer us basically so th- he doesn't ignore <laughs> that they actually set it up where like there's a period of
1: time wh- while they're traveling to wherever they're going to get slaughtered where it's basically party on the ship because everybody's right. in their new bar in their new young bodies young athletic like super soldier bodies and they're like yep you know what to do and then and then you know in a couple of days we'll go down on the planet and most of you will get killed for the glory of the human race
0: Yeah, well, I mean, and that's where that's where the story. The I feel like that's where it gets a little more complexity, you know, along the lines of some of those other books in terms of why is this war? And I think that that intensifies as the books go on. Right, right. Why is this war being fought? Who are they fighting exactly? You know, and I think there's some really interesting, like you point out the bit about them not going back to Earth, which, as I recall, was a sort of like a political move, right? Basically, because you know. In theory, these guys are like genetically engineered better than all the people on, on on Earth, so it wouldn't really be uh you know, they're they're kind of worried that these these super soldiers might turn on them or something eventually.
1: Well, and they they um they want to keep as it turns out, the the politicians sort of want to keep uh the earth under their thumb and, and sort of so right. earth is almost like a it's not quite a zoo but it's almost like that where it's like you know when you're on earth you're on earth and once you leave earth you don't go back you it's just like a little preserve of where all the original humans live and then there's the big wide uh the big wide wide world which i i love the widescreen aspect of it too where there are a bunch of different alien races and they're and then there, there are sort of different human groups as well and there's like Search for territory and and they try to take planets and take them back. so there's like the politics that's going on and there's the the um, essentially the CIA kind of uh, military intelligence that's going on um, right. so it's not just the um, the grunts and in fact uh, the character kind of works his way up and gets a, a peek inside the, the the way the war machine
0: works so so he's not just an infantry guy well right and as we as we progress you know as we follow him throughout the series. He gets to in more increasingly important roles to the point where what is in the third book that he becomes sort of the the leader of this colony or one of the the major people like sort of founding a new colony, which is kind of an I mean, I think the third book has a really interesting plot in that um, there is this whole, again, like you're talking about the land grab type thing. Um, and then the Earth takes it to sort of the next logical step in some ways to how are they going to found a colony that is not in danger of being attacked and, and occupied by these other aliens. And that is, you know, let's basically let's let's not tell anybody where they're going. Like, let's let's convince them we're all going one place and then send them someplace totally else so that they can't even get home.
1: Yeah, that that's a. um there, there's there's so much going on in, in the last colony, the third book. The second book, the Ghost Brigades. Scott, I know I read it, and I look at the description on it's Wikipedia, kind of forgettable though, and I don't remember. I mean, it's set in the same world, but
0: really there are only a couple characters, you know, in in common between there, them. Well, there's the main. I mean, the main the main virtue of it is that one of the characters that comes out of it um, becomes very important in the third book, and in fact, the fourth book is told from her perspective.
2: I certainly haven't read the fourth book and I don't think I've read the third book and I can't tell if I've read the second book
0: (laughs) so well the fourth and the third books tell the same story from two different points of view
2: yeah so the funny Uh, thing about
1: this is that um, Zoe's Tale, the fourth book um, which is interesting because it's almost like a young adult retelling of the third book from the daughter's perspective Um, that's the first one of these that I read because it was nominated for a Hugo and it was in the Hugo Packet and and it, I really liked it to the point where I went back and read the other three. And the funny thing about reading it in that way is it didn't spoil basically anything
0: for me. It, he manages to pull off the fact that I think the third and the fourth book, despite telling essentially the same story, um, are still engrossing, even when you think you sort of know what's going to happen. Um, right. Because it, it, it's there's more to it than just the plot being the interesting points. I mean, the character developments are interesting. Seeing these things, and there are some fairly important things that you see in the fourth book that you don't get to see that are sort of off screen in the third book.
1: So, so in the second book, what happens is that there's this this uh, this traitor, and the memories are implanted, and all this stuff. And in the end, what you get is Zoe, who gets adopted by um, by the old man from the first book, and by Jane, who is let okay another complication she is um it's a clone of his wife because
0: you get you they grow your clone but while the clones were gr- growing his wife died right she signed, she signed up to be in the military as well but she died before they left earth basically and so they still had a clone body for her but they have no brain no mind to go into it and so they just sort of
1: they have like an artificial like intelligence generator i guess
0: that well it's, a, it's they they put basically they grow a brain from like you know she's basically so it starts out with her being more i mean they kind of basically take a a brain and let it develop inside this body right. with its own personality um so it's sort of her but sort of not
2: yeah <laughs> it's it really
0: creepy
1: it, it it is kind is of Is it paper, adultery? Right?
0: No one no. Uh, no well and but she's
1: oh, so she's dead. So it's not she's adultery. Dead, but she sort of thinks like his dead wife or because, is she? Oh. because she's got the brain but um it's not his dead wife because she doesn't have the memories and um so it's yeah, it's it's a really interesting thing and that that's the fascinating thing about the last colony which I read after reading Zoe's Tale which tells the, the that story from the, the daughter's perspective, the adopted daughter's perspective. But it's funny because you've got these two characters that are so different from how they are earlier on. As it turns mm. out, when they're when they're um, soldiers, and now they're kind of retired and trying to run this colony. And so you got wacky characters that they're trying to keep, um, you know, in line. And then all of a sudden, there's a essentially a galactic incident, and they're going to all die unless they they. Uh... But it turns out what that, that the daughter is being protected by this alien right. race that right. that her father created, right? Or or made sentient. Yes. And so um I mean I, anybody who hasn't read these books is going to be like, "Whoa, what, what the what hell the are you, hell talking, are you about? talking
0: about?"
2: That's exactly what I'm thinking.
1: <laughs> it it also kind of it also kind of follows though. I mean that that's the that's the sort of fascinating thing about it is there are these wacky aliens and and there are essentially this little this little girl has these two kind of like strange I don't even know how to describe them. They're like puffball aliens. Yeah, cuz they aren't they really like badass. They're like really big or something too. Yeah, they're dangerous, but they but they just follow her around and videotape everything she does
0: because she's a hero she's a, or she's a she's a god basically. Because like, her father created these these aliens or gave them gave them consciousness.
1: Yeah, and so so um you know she goes off in a spaceship and that story is told in the in the fourth book.
0: Yeah, that's a and that's a pretty major point, right? Like so you know you sort of see her disappear off the stage in book 3 and then she shows up as almost sort of like a deus ex machina Absolutely. at the end. But then that whole segment is fleshed out in the fourth book and I think that is really interesting because it makes sense. Like right. it's not entirely a Deus Ex Machina. It's just that the story is told elsewhere. Meanwhile, I, I have to say that you know, without getting too down into these details,
1: it's fun. You know, the spaceship oh, yeah. and space battles are fun. The the kind of alien diplomacy is hilarious. And I believe in is it the last colony or is it Zoe's tale where there's a duel to the death between various, like, a, a human oh, yeah. and various aliens, and they do this thing where diplomacy fails, and they're like, let's duel! <laughs> and and then you have to kill a certain number of aliens, and then you win, and, and they do, and they win. And it, it's just, uh, it's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, it's written seriously, but at the same time, it's just such a great ride.
0: It's like, sure, why not a duel to the death with aliens? Let's do that. It It's very entertaining in a way that, I mean... I feel like so many times there people think like a book can either be entertaining or like intellectually stimulating, like make you think. And I I feel like he does a pretty good job of meshing those two, um, so that it's not totally cerebral and making you like, mm, yes, this is this is full of very deep deep thoughts. I must I must meditate on these deep thoughts. But I mean, you know, there's there are interesting ideas woven within a story that is engaging and kind of a page turner. Um and that's
2: that's a hard combination to pull off. Scott, you should read them. <laughs> Apparently. I, I have no idea why I, I guess I was not that impressed with uh Old Man's War and I didn't feel I should read the rest.
0: I know it's not in it's not in nineteenth century New York. Um there's no detective. No I'm detective so
1: I I you know it's it's uh old man's war is a lot of fun. Um but I, it's, it's funny it's, the it's, other books are very different.
2: I think that my problem with Old Man's War is that I liked the Forever War so much. Oh yeah. That um, Dan, have you read Forever War? I'm familiar with it, but I've never read it. Oh,
1: well, how well? How can you be familiar with it then? <laughs> oh, I mean, I've seen it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> He's aware of its existence.
0: It is. It was published. It was published. Well, I mean, I know people often talk about it as sort of a diametrical. Po- it, it, they put it in contrast to the like a Starship Troopers type thing. I hear those are sort of the two dipoles of the
2: whole, you know, the, the 60s, 70s war. That's true. Um, Vietnam, Starship Troopers or, is like, woo, let's kill aliens. And uh, the Forever War is like, war is horrible. Why? It's a waste of time. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that was, the, that was the reason I didn't read it. I was I'm like, yep, yep, agree. War,
0: terrible. Oh, Done. Yeah, no, Moving on. <laughs> Seriously, no, Forever War, Forever War is great. I,
1: I read it maybe 10 years ago. Um, and one of the things about it that's amazing is that to me, it feels modern, even now. It was written in 1974, and it still feels modern because the plot. I mean, it's crazy. It's it's like there's time dilation, so they every jump they do, um, you know, hundreds of years pass or, or dozens of years pass, and and so the 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 reason why they're fighting keeps changing and kind of goes on forever, and the, it's uh it's amazing. It's
2: it's it really is an amazing book scott agreed disagree I, I totally agree it's 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 a fantastic book and dan you should you should totally read it uh it is it is perhaps not uplifting but it is i think an important work and possibly one of the most important science fiction books of ever <laughs>
0: yeah no, that's, i think you sold me I, i'm reading it right now i'm not reading it right now but i will oh, read no. it I will hey, put my, i'll put my list of things to read yeah to it's read.
1: It's it's really good and and it's not you know it's not a tract right it's not a yo man war is right, war yeah. is, we, is sucky and we shouldn't fight man we should all love each other it's it's um no it, it's it's got the it's got the the action of the war but it's also got the impact on the soldiers because of the science fictional kind of effects the time dilation and light speed and. And, and so society changes. And so, and that's the Vietnam parallel is that they come back every time they come back, it's to a world that they don't belong
2: in. Right. Um, but it's sent out again to fight for it. And then they come back and again, what they fought for has changed.
1: Yeah, it's, it's fascinating, but on a science fictional level, it's really interesting to say, well, you know, what would happen if you got, you returned home and it was 200 years later and everything was different. Um, you know that would be a really interesting uh, thing, and the and the of uh, the veterans, um, th- when they reenter society, I mean they are people out of time, and they're um, and it's very hard for them to to adapt. Like I, as I recall, d- d- when they return home, isn't isn't um hasn't homosexuality replaced heterosexuality as the dominant? form of sexuality because they want to reduce population growth. And so exactly. So they they become horrible. horribly like disaffected and yet they're they're also encouraged to have this like um isn't there like surgery that that inverses your sexual orientation and I and they're feeling true. it's it's wild. I mean it is it is really a, a mind blowing kind of book. It's it's um but it's good. It's not definitely not preachy. So yeah. T- I totally recommend uh,
2: The Forever War. So it has similar themes to to the old ma- Old Man's War, uh, yeah. And Old Man's War, I think, is a fine book in and of itself. But when you compare it to, I don't think it can p- compare it to the Forever War as as a novel.
1: Uh, no, I, just, I, I
0: agree. It and does. I, I, It doesn't seem like it aspires necessarily to that. I don't think it does. height. I mean, I think that that's what you know. At least that's what I enjoy about, it, to a certain extent, is that it is. It seems to be comfortable with its place, which is to say, um, you know, it's a good story, um, and not to say there aren't larger messages that you can take away from it. But uh, again, contextually, also, it's written in a very different era from something like the Forever War, which you know clearly has all these you know close ties to to the experience in Vietnam, whereas you know the Old Man's War. I mean, though it was written in a, you know, presumably a wartime environment, it's not the same war. <laughs> um, and it, I don't think it, it necessarily tries to make... I mean, I, maybe it's just a book of its time in a different way. Um, well, what I like about Old Man's War is that he doesn't flinch away from killing lots of characters. That, that um, yeah, despite being an entertaining, an entertaining story, it's not without its darker moments and without its you know, sadness and, and other emotions as well. It's just that it's, it's, well, there's that core group of recruits that just keep
1: dwindling away right. as the more the, of them die. Th-
0: I feel that a lot of it's to the purpose of telling the story and not necessarily to the purpose of telling a message. If that difference can be made. yeah,
1: No, it's enter- It's an entertainment more than anything else. And it is very entertaining. And I am a, I am a sucker for the, the widescreen, you know, different star systems. And, um, and and in this case, alien races with strange cultures that, you know, and a lot of times are just a proxy for our own like sort of culture clashes that we have in, you know, on Earth. But uh, it's just fun to see all that mixed up and, and told and sort of un- unashamedly just saying, yes, I'm going to write a, you know, different star system space opera kind of setting for this novel. And, and I love that stuff.
2: I think honestly that I enjoy reading his blog more than I do his books.
1: Oh, so let's talk about that. He has a he has a blog that he updates he regularly. What? He should be writing his books. <laughs> George R R <laughs> should show him a thing or two about No. Um it's
0: called whatever. Do you uh, I I read it occasionally. Do you guys read it regularly? I read it when it's often when it's linked to. I I've read a few things he's written on there, but I don't follow it regularly.
2: I, I have subscribed to it so I read oh. whenever he posts something. Yeah. And he's I enjoy a, it.
1: He's a good I mean, he he is a good writer and he um and he wrote he blogs regularly, which I, I imagine is quite hard for somebody who's supposed to be actually, you know, well and he's
0: been it's a long running blog, right? I think it predates his his published fiction.
2: It, it, in fact
0: I think that's how years. he
2: became a published author, because he wrote whatever the Agent to the Stars and then he posted it on his blog and the rest, as they say, is a cliche. It's,
1: a, it's a series of novels. Exactly. Uh, anything more to say about John Scalzi? Anything you want to bring up? I mean, I
0: wrote, I wrote him, I wrote him, I wrote him a letter it. once. Oop, did he oh, respond? Is there a Actually, picture of said, you with him? Like there is with there George is R. no R. picture of me. In fact, he didn't write back to me. I was a little sad. That bastard. Um, <laughs> I'm not judging him. He's a busy man. Uh, he wrote a very interesting blog post. Um, one of the one of the ones I did read about um, addressing sort of the idea of why so many of the new quote unquote writers in science fiction were um, you know people in their 30s as opposed to sort of young talent in their 20s, um, and I think most of it was talking about like look. Because when you're in your 20s, unless you're, you know, one of those people who's like a genius or whatever, you're writing a lot of crap and sort of learning and getting that out of your system. And so you see these first quote unquote novels from new writers in when they're in their 30s because they've, you know, been working on this stuff all along and it finally produced something that's worth actually publishing. Um, And I thought it was a very good piece. It It made a lot of sense. I mean, it also echoes, you know, my own experience, which is I wrote a lot of crappy novels in my 20s. Um and now that I feel like I've hit my thirties, I've I'm still writing crappy novels, but they're getting less crappy. <laughs> Excellent. Um and so I so I read him I wrote him an email about that just saying I, I really was interested in, in his in his piece and his theory there and I never heard it back, but but you know, that's all right. I don't hold it against him. I still follow him on Twitter.
2: Oh, I don't follow him on Twitter. But I think that his blog is very interesting to someone who is interested in writing and the business of writing and public and, and publishing because that's he writes yeah. a lot about that and his thoughts about, you know, ebooks and self-publishing and all that kind of stuff. And that's stuff that I'm very interested in. So yeah. I He think- did
0: a great one. I don't know if you saw Scott the a couple of weeks ago he did one about where his income comes from. Yes. That was really interesting. He has this whole he has all these pie charts showing like Here's this is the percentage of my income that came from, you know, royalties from the novels, selling the options for the movie, you know, I was a he was a consultant on Stargate Universe, you know, like and he shows he's got it all divided up in his little pie. And it's like so my point being, you know, if you're a writer, you need to diversify because some of these streams could just go away. Um, and you don't know, you know when that's going to happen and if you want to, you know, make a living, you need to be able to make sure that even if that chunk of your revenue drops off, you're still making enough money from other projects. That you can still uh you know get by, um, which was i mean which is totally true, and i think it's it's a really interesting to see someone who is a successful very well you know well known uh popular author talking about you know these it's not just write a write a book and then you make a gazillion dollars and you're set for life,
1: <laughs> so where does he make his money
0: um I think a lot of it, a decent chunk of it in terms of like the recurring revenue comes from. Things like royalties. Um, But like you said, for example, like I think it was something like the last year, his biggest chunk came from this movie option for Old Man's War. Um, And he said, well, yeah, that's great. You know, I made a lot of money from it last year, but that's not something that's going to get repeated year after year. So I can't necessarily count on that next year. So I have to make sure that I'm still doing other things. So he writes a column for uh, he writes a column for a film site. I think he used to write it's AMC. It might film, be AMC's site. Com, right? Yeah. So I think he's bounced around in a couple places. He did that consulting gig for Stargate Universe, which then got canceled. Um, he's got, he says he's, a, I think he has a consulting gig for some other company that he won't talk about. I mean, like a bunch of different, like little projects all on the side, but I think the bulk of it still comes from from his books now. I see but. it
1: here 63% from books, 23% from uh, from film option. So right. that's his old man's war film option, six percent from consulting on Stargate Universe, and four four point seven percent from his web column. Nice,
0: yeah. So I mean, like I, you know, and as Scott says, like that's really interesting for the business of someone who you know people working as writers are interested in working as a professional writer. Um, it's really illuminating to see. Yeah, it's not not necessarily as simple
2: or straightforward as you might think. That's true because my books are not making me even like three percent so i'm doing something horribly wrong hey me neither mine are making (laughs) zero percent but mine have been published then oh take that oh Oh. of
0: course i'm not fiction so it doesn't matter
2: reality (laughs) nobody cares about my books that's really what happened. i hear lots of people care about wordpress it's very depressing. My wife is writing a cookbook, which is exciting for her and and for me, you know. But and so when any any anyone ever hears that, they're all very excited, and then I'm like, you know, I've written like four five books and nobody cares. <laughs> but you keep doing it, and John. then they and pat that, me that's, on the head that, and I walk out the room crying.
0: That's that's what gets me. You 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 persevere. Someday, full credit to you, Scott, because
1: I I co-wrote I wrote half of one book in like 1995, I think and it was it was a huge amount of work to write a technical book and you know i got half of an advance for it and i calculated it out later that i i would have if i had taken the money or if i had taken the time that i spent i don't think i want to hear the rest of this cuz i'm going to be depressed at, <laughs> and worked at minimum wage i would have made twice as much money <laughs> Just I remember. <laughs> I remember you
0: telling me you you oh. sent around an email once of a, in, our, in our in our day job saying, "Oh yeah, these people are looking for somebody to work, you know, help write this on this book, technical edition of this book." And I think I asked you about it, and you're like, "You know, it's probably not worth your time, <laughs> just in terms of like how much it takes, how much time it takes, and how much you get out of it." Yeah, I think what I said uh, is, it, and you it kind
1: of scared my, me off. My stock answer <laughs> is, if you if you wanna have the experience of doing a book and be able to say that your name is on a published book do it if you're I doing do, it I'm not not on that book if you're doing it for the money
0: don't do <laughs> oh, it oh yeah good lord
2: don't do it for the money
0: <laughs> no and you notice i haven't given up my day job to write novels yet thank goodness for that that's why i write
1: those uh letters to publishers saying dan Moore is a terrible, terrible writer <laughs> don't published no that would be great if i if i ever get something published dan the first thing i'm gonna do is tell my agent hey i know a guy <laughs> who has some books you should look at uh, we got we gotta we gotta make this happen
2: his name is scott mcnulty <laughs> No! oh
1: ah, <laughs> <that expired. laughs> see what he did there well i served that it's one a up. novelization of wordpress McNulty it's great you gotta read a it home run <laughs> yes uh, hey so um hey what are you reading I thought I would ask the musical question what are you reading are you guys reading anything interesting
0: since this is book club have you stopped reading i am i am rereading um a classic book just because i happened to, i bought it on uh on, my, on the Kindle app for my iPad because I found a copy of it for like a dollar <laughs> uh, and I was so excited um i it's the second book in a uh, mystery series written in the 1930s. Oh, sorry, Scott, Loli, too late. and it's set and set in set in the um, in in England. Um, Dorothy Sayers, who is a great classic mystery writer, um, who writes about a detective named Lord Peter Wimsey. Um, one of the uh, one of the inspirations actually for miles for again but a book that i read or a series that i read growing up because my mother is a huge mystery fan like that's her she only reads mysteries well, not only but she mostly reads mysteries um and so i grew up reading a lot of the classic you know agatha christie arthur conan doyle dorothy sayers etc and so i'm rereading a couple of the books because it's been many years since i have read them and i'm finding them delightfully entertaining but part of that's just sort of uh in a holding pattern because I've, there are several books coming out that I'm looking forward to reading including among them Fuzzy Nation.
2: I, I don't think fuzzy I'll be oh, I don't think I'll be reading Fuzzy Nation. I have no interest in Fuzzy Nation.
1: Sorry. But it's got a protagonist with a pipe who finds fuzzy
2: aliens. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm sold. Hmm. Maybe not. No. What are you reading, Scott? Uh I am reading currently uh The River River of Gods by Ian MacDonald who is, uh, his most recent book, uh, what is it, Dervish House, was is nominated for uh, Hugo or something. Yes, yes. Which is very good, by the way. If you haven't read it, at least 200 pages in, it's good. It could go all horribly wrong. And speaking of Miles Vors, however the heck for go- his name? For There you go. I finished all of those, so. Ah, I Yay. just, I
1: finished Cryoburn, the last oh. in the series so far. Uh, last night, in fact, oh, I finished
2: it. I finished Tell it. Me that
0: is not that was a my... heartbreak, a heartbreaking ending. So, though. so you know it's coming, but it's still you, kind of you, wrenching. You do know it's coming, and I mean, I knew, and I knew what the line was going to be. Right? Well, because they refer to it early. He he refers to it in an earlier book. He yes, says someday some poor guy is going to come up to me and say, "Count forcos again." Count again. Vorkos again. Mm-hmm. But it's still a. It brought a. I, I teared up a little bit oh, while yeah. reading that, just because I, you know, and and the, then the little epilogues after that as well. I mean, I thought, and I, I think it's very interesting to see. I want. I really want to see where where this this new chapter of his life leads him. But we'll have to wait a little while for that. Oh, I think that hijinks will ensue. Uh, it's probably. So she
1: wrote like a whole fantasy series in between. The last. Yeah, I read.
0: I read all of it. <laughs> Yeah, so, it's okay. So, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be at the top of my list, but
1: yeah, it's just funny that. So she, she really seems. I mean, she was really cranking on the Verkozigan stuff in the '90s, and and then stepped away after Diplomatic Immunity. I
0: mean, she didn't write another book for eight Di- years. Yeah, Diplomatic Immunity came out when I was first reading my way through the series, which was in college. It came out what 2003, um, and yeah, I just finished. Like I sort of caught up as that came out. Um, and then I had to wait many, many years (laughs) for the next one to come out. Uh,
1: Yeah. And now, and now that's the, so I don't know if she's just lost some enthusiasm for it or what.
0: I think she, you know, and I've heard her talk about it and I think part of it is, you know, Miles is getting older. He's, you know, he's a character who ages realistically. And, um, I think part of it is she's told a lot of the stories that she wanted to tell. Um, and she just, you know, she has no need to feel compelled to write stories at the moment sure. unless she comes up with something she really wants to write about. Or I do know that she needs when I, well, yeah, but she writes plenty other stuff. She wrote a four book, you know, sort of fantasy series. She wrote a whole nother separate fantasy series. Um, and I know that the, uh, when I saw her speak last fall, she previewed the first chapter of a book that she's writing about Ivan. Um the uh, Miles's cousin. Yeah, which so is great. I, yeah, which and I think she, you know, she, she's just like, oh, I've got a story I want to tell that you know, in which Ivan would be the protagonist, and I think that's great. I would, lo- I'm looking forward to reading that. I'm hoping that she finishes it and it gets published because it sounded, it was very entertaining the bit that I heard. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess that's just kind of the way it goes. I will say incidentally, another book that I'm looking forward to a former uh, book club topic. China Meville has another book coming out called Embassy Town. Which, as I understand it, is sort of his take on the space opera. So that I am extremely interested in
2: reading as well. I think that comes out in a couple weeks. And you can you can read the first fifty pages on Tor's website, I think. Huh. Whoever's there publisher is. So
0: lots of stuff coming out soon that we can talk
2: about. Wow, there is a lot of stuff coming out soon.
1: So George R. R. Martin with his sixteen hundred page. That, did, is that what I read today, that it's going to be like 1,600 pages it long? It sounds like it's going to be very,
2: very long. <laughs> that is what a random person uh, on Twitter told us.
1: It's it's like... Uh, his, they wouldn't lie to us, Scott. Now They're people understand why it took him so long, is that it's actually as long as five books.
0: <laughs> and Part of me wants to say, well, yeah, that's because he didn't stop at one point and then say, you know what? That's a pretty good ending. <laughs> just... <laughs> Maybe I can get the next one out in
1: like three years. It's true. That's The nice thing, actually, I liked about, about reading Cryoburn is. If she never writes another Miles book, I'll be sad. But 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 there's a good ending. It's, good, it's it, most of it's wrapped up. The books all have endings, right? Exactly. Yeah. I was
2: going to say that's the, the Miles series. Although I give it flack. I did enjoy it obviously because I read so all of them. Uh, and and million, they're all so. they're self contained and they build on each other. And that's very. But if you just pick up one, you'll still be satisfied because it's a good story. Right, but right. if you pick up one of George R. R. Martin's books, uh, in the you have no idea have no, what's going on. Exactly. I don't know. <laughs> no.
0: Don't even try. No. That's the challenge of writing series, I feel like, it's is, you know, how do you make... I, I mean, I like that sort of, that plot of, you know, the idea of being like, this is the continuing adventures of so-and-so. Um, and so you can read an adventure and still sort of have an idea what's going on. if you've read other adventures of these characters, you will know more, you will get a little more out of it but you you won't be entirely lost if you have never read anything else whereas these long sort of sagas that that jump from you know <laughs> that are thousands and thousands of pages long if you haven't read all the way from the beginning you're you're kind of a kind of up a creek
2: i will give george r r martin credit though he does not fall for the the trap of trying to recap everything that's happened previously he just goes right into it. That would be impossible. I know. Be, it, The recap
0: would be like half the length. Of the, yeah, it's the it's first true. 800 pages of the book. It would it's just be recap. like a really boringly written version of the first. And then they did this, and then he went this, and he killed this knight, and
1: this knight did this, and this guy did Previously, that. Previously, on A Game of Thrones. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. There are dragons. And there, somewhere. white
2: walkers. The others. That's, That's all cool. you need to know.
1: It's, yes. There you go. You're it's cut. good versus evil. Here we go no here's how you do it go back and read the first book <laughs> start right. there Just they, when you open it up there should be like a, a, an alert goes off don't no don't buy this book unless you bought the other books by opening this book you agree to buy all <laughs> previous books in the series that that, that explains how he makes so much money
2: it, well apparently all of the other books are back on the New York Times bestseller lists so.
1: yeah. behold He's the power of HBO lots of money and over fist, mm-hmm. yes. He can pay that guy who researches all the <laughs> characters <laughs> for his novels. No, the Cryoburn, you know, reading Cryoburn was... Um, uh, It was interesting because having... Her, she hadn't written a book in this universe in so long that I thought it was kind of funny that it clearly was something, that it was an idea like, like we talked about in the Miles podcast, um, Ethan of Athos, which I didn't like. I thought it was really bad, but... Um, it it was clearly about something, right? She was saying, okay, what are the ramifications of having the uterine replicator so that you don't actually right. need women to have babies? And cryoburn was very much like that in the sense, not in the sense that it was bad because I liked it, but it, in the sense that it was about something, which was what, what, is the, what are the ramifications of the cryogenic system that she put in that saved Miles' life where you can freeze people and bring them back later. And there's this planet where the voters are largely... Frozen corpses, <laughs> and they've got voting rights, and there's a they're cryotombs, and and I, lo- uh,
2: I love the the economic hijinks. I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but I think the whole idea of what happens is very
0: yeah. It's one of the it's, it's kind of like there's a nefarious plot, right? But it's yeah. it's fascinating in the way that it's executed.
1: Yeah, and in the end, you know, it all hangs on the coincidence that this kid finds mm. Miles when he's stumbling around in the street and the kid happens to be the mother or the the son of the his mother is like the key pivotal figure in this conspiracy so there's some
2: there's some you
1: know I, I was sitting there thinking, really, boy, that was lucky that that kid found well, Miles. You know,
2: Miles attracts these things, <laughs> but
1: that's yeah, just trouble allowed, trouble you're allowed one. Him.
0: You're allowed a coincidence, right? Yeah.
1: But after okay. that, I mean, it's there's like a whole like cryogenic lab that's set up in an abandoned building. <laughs> and, I mean, it's wacky. It's but it was it was a lot of
0: fun, and and you could tell that she enjoyed having. It's, it's well done, those and we characters. got to you know, yeah, and you get to see some of the other characters pop in. Mark pops in for a little while. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's some, you know, I love the character, the character who I thought I would really dislike the guy who's the, uh, the ambassador.
2: Oh, he turns um, out to be a very good character. Yeah. He turns or out to Lincoln, be pretty, pretty right? cool actually. Yeah. 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 Although I did that, the the little ending where, um, he falls in love with the, what's her name? I, I, I saw that coming.
0: Yes. yes. Well, it was a little, it was a little, but still, I, I like that he ended up, you know, you think he's going to be one of those bureaucratic, Guys, who Miles so often encounters, who's just going to be a pain in the ass, he gets and gets It's right. What he they, actually they, turns out to be kind of a
1: useful, sympathetic character. Right. Now you expect him to be the obstructionist bureaucrat, the or as they say in the Simpsons, it means he gets results. You stupid chief. Right. You expect him to be that guy. Right. It's like <laughs> right. he stops the cop from who's the cop yeah. on the edge who doesn't do rogue. things by You're the a loose book. cannon.
0: That's right. Um, hand in your badge and gun. On my desk. But and then you get you get some nice time with uh you get some nice time with Roick, who I who I've grown to really, really like right. as the series has gone on, and um a couple of nice new characters. I mean, I enjoyed it, especially because she t- takes the time to tell the story from um what's his name? The kid's point of view. Um Jin? Is it Jin? Yeah. you, I, you get you get an interesting, totally different perspective, right? On Miles, he's this, the specialist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. There's exactly. this strange um, little fellow. So he's, that, he's like You're child, kind of a nice but he little, is not a child yeah. yeah. there's a nice little digression there I, I he's have to just, say he's that an insurance that auditor I yeah. I liked it a, a lot better than I liked diplomatic immunity which is one of my least favorite books in the series actually is
1: that the one with the wacky shenanigans with the butterbugs and uh... no no that's no. that's
0: civil campaign I love civil oh,
1: Campaign. okay it's great what's, what's diplomatic immunity
0: diplomatic immunity is the one before it where it's the they're on the space station. And the, there's the Quaddies, Is that the it was an attempt to do like sort of a murder mystery, but it also it, it just didn't. It was so divorced from everything that was kind of interesting. There were so few characters right. I felt like that the so few of the familiar characters in it, in some ways, that it felt really like alien. Oh, and they end up um, in they,
1: there's a showdown in the spaceship where, yeah,
0: yeah, it was not my favorite. I mean, it has its moments, it's but it's no it Ethan was of Atlas. Of my last <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean that was that's even only loosely even a mile. Yeah, now
2: it's I, right. I enjoyed Ethan Atos. I thought it was very interesting. All right, showdown, go fight
0: to the death. That's you fine. Go.
2: That's my only argument.
0: All right, take that. No, you
1: didn't, Scott. Ha! Doh! <laughs> you hated it.
2: Snell wins again. <laughs> <laughs> you should. You should tell us what you've been reading, Jason.
0: Yes. Indeed. Well,
1: I finished Cryoburn, which let's, uh, again let's talk I, about uh, that. I, I we we mentioned that earlier, I believe, if oh. I recall correctly. And I am reading a book called The Hidden Reality. Where is it? Um it, it is all around check us. Check the closet. Check the closet. It's by Brian Green, who is a physicist ah, and it's one elegant of the science books that I I like. And he wrote The Elegant Universe, which is um has confused people who want to know about string theory in much the same way that um, Stephen Hawking's book, A Brief History of Time, confused people who wanted to know about relativity. Um, I, I liked, I loved that book actually. And and this is his third, I think, of these popular science books. And it's about parallel universes and how they could actually be scientifically plausible. Um and it's it's, it's good it's, it's not topical at all it's hard it's hard rowing um in the sense that you know it's physics and you've got to you can't exactly be listening to a baseball game while you're reading it as somebody who <laughs> tried this you can't. It can't be done. Because then he start. Then he drops Brain-ish. something on you about. Well, if there, are, if it's an infinitely expanding universe, that means there's an infinite expanse in the universe, which means there's an infinite number of galaxies. And if that's true, and it's truly infinite, then there's another planet somewhere out there in the universe that's exactly like ours. Did you? And there's in actually- fact an infinite number of them. And it's like what? I have to turn off the baseball game now. <laughs> but it's good stuff. It's it's really interesting. He's very good at at at. Bringing these like mind-blowing things that are happening in in modern physics, um, and trying to explain it, it with you know some analogies, and try to get you to understand what an eleven-dimensional string theory-based space would would be like, which is really hard, but he does a pretty good job. So um, I, I recommend the Brian Greene, you know, his series start with the Elegant Universe, which is uh,
2: excellent about string theory.
1: Have you, have you read the uh,
2: the Pluto Files by Neil deGrasse Tyson?
1: I haven't, although I, I I should because I read. I think I said on an earlier podcast. I read um, Mike Brown's book, "How I Killed Pluto and Why It Had It Coming," which is a lot of fun about being a working astronomer and finding these deep solar system objects. But I haven't read the Pluto Files.
2: It's it's a a lot, a lot of fun because he gets uh, so Neil deGrasse Tyson runs the, uh, the Hayden Planetarium. It? Hayden Planetarium, exactly. So in New York and City. They, they changed their their representation of the solar system. and took yesterday. Pluto out and grouped it with other other things because they grouped the planets in the ways that they were grouped with celestial objects, uh, and so and then that kind of started this whole thing about him killing Pluto. And the yes, book he just was the recounts, original Pluto killer. He was and Before he my he crown. recounts that he's getting like letters uh, from four year olds written in crayon. Uh, accusing I love him Pluto. Of, exactly. Why, why did you, dear Dr. It? Tyson Neil deGrasse Tyson? Why did you kill Pluto? I am very <laughs> sad. <laughs> Some
1: sad face
2: tears. Exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, and he's a funny guy. I actually follow him on Twitter, and he is he is a very smart and funny guy. Um, and I've been to the Hayden Planetarium, and I saw the diorama, and and afterward, I thought, you know, I think that I think that's the place where they killed Pluto. <laughs> <laughs> right
0: is there a there. little? Is there
2: a little chalk outline? Exactly, a little, a Pluto little circle at the on the floor. Well, I did read uh, the Risen Empire. Has anyone heard of this by Scott Westerfeld, who is now?
0: I thought you mentioned it on the
2: on the Twitter. Oh uh, yes, I I I enjoyed it. He, he Scott Westerfeld is probably best known for his young adult fiction now. So he wrote Leviathan and Behemoth and some other books uh, that kids like to read Uh, and adults, I'm sure. But uh, the, the risen empire is his, he explains on his website that he wanted to write the space opera that he wanted to read when he was a 14 year old. So Ah. he wrote the risen empire, which is a fascinating book about this empire called the risen empire who, They figure out how to cheat death by creating this symbiote that will give you eternal life. But the problem is you have to be dead before it can be implanted into you. So it kind of resurrects you. Uh, And then there are other races that have solved the problem of immortality in different ways. And so it's an interesting book. But you should read it. There are two books that were actually written as one book. So if you decide you want to read The Risen Empire, make sure you get the sequel because it is in fact one book. And the first book uh, ends very abruptly.
1: Ah, <laughs> uh, that seems to Always be a trend fun. now. If you know it going in,
0: it's not a problem, right? It's if you don't yeah. know it going in. Yeah. What? That's, that's dangerous.
1: No resolution. That happened to me. That yeah. happened
0: to me with uh, the Connie Wills. Oh, the Connie Wills. Yeah. Blackout. I'm like, man, they're, man, she's running short on pages. They're not going to get out. <sighs> okay, I guess that just stops right there. Yeah, yeah. I
2: mean, This This basically, this book stops like in the middle of the climactic battle, and it's, it just stops.
0: Sure, that is awkward
2: not good
1: rage rage <laughs> all right, I like talking about books i I wish I read more books. It's hard to find time to read so many good books that are out
2: there that I hear about on the podcast and some mediocre ones. I don't have any time to reread things,
0: Dan Ooh. I am yeah, I don't know i i it's hard to get me into certain new books i'm I'm very. No, I, I mean, like, if there's an author that I, that I follow and like, they come up with a new book, I almost always read it. But I'm very skittish sometimes about about reading
2: new unproven mm. authors, unproven to you or unproven in general.
0: Just to me, I'm a, I am a very I'm very uh, self centered critic. Oh, yeah, self centered, <laughs> okay. self centered, um, self interested, egotistical, mm-hmm. arrogant. Yep, that kind of stuff. Yep. So that's yeah. Dan. That's me.
1: All right, well, um, thank you for joining me in talking about books. It's so nice to feel as if um, I am surrounded by people who are
0: literate.: My friend got a fortune in his fortune cookie the other night that said, "You are not illiterate." <laughs> wow. High praise. That was quite a quite a backhanded
2: compliment in bed. <laughs> ha uh, wow. Comedy Gold.
1: That is why Scott McNulty is here, also because he reads lots of books.: It's true. All right, well, um, thanks to everybody for joining us on the podcast tonight. Um, thanks to my uh, compatriots. Uh, although we aren't green-skinned, alien-fighting compatriots, we are still thank up for that. compatriots. Uh, Dan Morin, thank you. Oh, thank you as always. Jason. And Scott McNulty, thank you as always. Oh, it's a pleasure as always. Uh, until next time, this is Jason Snell for The Incomparable, signing off.
0: I have never picked up one of those books. They are not good,
2: but I read them all.
0: We all we all have those, don't we? I just I just read the third book in this series called um See so, you now Dan, while you were talking I was thinking
1: the way you set that up was saying there are some books that I I read that I don't that aren't very good. And I just read a trilogy and I thought, what would be that what would trilogy would that be? And I the what I came up with is a trilogy called The Garbage Chronicles. <laughs> <laughs> Which is about a group of um, of uh, garbage r- uh, reclamation workers, um, and I imagine the first book is probably called something like, um, like uh, Johnny Refuse and the Aluminum Cans.
0: I was um, thinking, I was thinking, One Man's Trash. Th- that's the second book. Oh, that's book that's
1: and the th- and the third book is just called.
0: down in the <laughs> yeah it gets now, dark, now we have to dump. now we have to write this Jason see what you
1: <laughs>
0: well when we uh, when we kick off when we kick off the incomparable press yes we have the, our the
1: garbage chronicles the garbage chronicles Ooh. book one Johnny Refuse and the aluminum can yeah. the, the book that of launched Destiny.
0: and murdered the incomparable press <laughs>
2: <laughs> keep watching the dump <laughs>
1: uh damn it oh. mcnulty you always get the last word it gets better it gets better as every time the dump you never know what will come out of the dump oh, man. i'm gonna have
0: to write this down damn it.
1: although i have a few ideas
0: <laughs> trust me you don't want to know you're better off not knowing no if you know what goes into the dump you know what will come out keep working on it i think it needs some tinkering but i think rounds right. of
2: you should you should workshop it a little all right i'll i'll do that <laughs> you.